Hi. Hello. <laughs> we're Devin. And Chris. And we're here to do uh, Yoga for the Body Politic, um, which is a inquiry into how practices like yoga and mindfulness and just general self-love and self-awareness practices can help us be more ethical in our daily actions. And to that end, we have some questions for you to consider and for us to consider. These questions are sort of the inverse of each other. So what's an action that you took this week? An ethical action. An ethical action. Yeah, that you think of as making the world a better place. It could be small. Or that you took and you're like, hmm, was that the thing that I should have done? Yeah, maybe it's still bugging you a little bit. Yeah. Or you had the sinking sensation. Yeah. And then the inverse of the question is, what's an ethical action you didn't take? And again, it could be that it was the right action not to take, or you're thinking about it and thinking, I could have done something. So what about you, Devin? I'm thinking about a sort of some not saying that I've been doing that feels uh, ethical in a um, like responsibility kind of way. Mm-hmm. There's a pit bull that's living in my house right now. We're like foster caring this pit bull. It's our first time doing it. And we're doing it because my kids wanted to get a dog and my husband and I were like maybe we'll get a dog and I was like I know how to make emotional decisions and it's not from a place of fantasy like that is not a good place to stand when you're making an emotional decision Mm -hmm. so let's get some real life experience and encounter our various emotions around dog having and then we can talk about it some more but I didn't want this to be too loaded the first time. I was super clear going in that this dog could not be on the table as our family dog. So this dog was always only going to be this time period. Then, of course, the dog is like a very real thing. And we all have like super awesome, super cozy moments with this dog that feel really, really great. And we also all have really disappointing, frustrating moments with this dog that feel really crappy. Being the person that I am, there's like a temptation for me to surface the emotional decision making a lot, especially in the moments when things aren't going well. And like my five-year-old is crying because the dog just got really excited and like jumped up on her and put her teeth on her sleeve and shook her around. That happens. And like, she's fine. She's crying, you know. There's a temptation in me to be like, this is why we can't have a dog. Mm -hmm. Or like, see, it's not all roses. See how this wasn't in the fantasy, you know? Or like, especially with my almost 10-year-old, whose fantasy this really was, there are moments where she doesn't want to help out, you know? She doesn't want to do the thing. And it's very tempting for me to be like, here it is, (laughs) you know? And kind of take over her process. So there are a lot of opportunities around that for me to not say Mm -hmm. and just like mind it Mm -hmm. and let that register for me and give them their own space and their Mm -hmm. own process 
that feels ethical to me because it's about what's mine to do Mm -hmm. and what's theirs to do. Also, it's about the appropriate time, which Mm -hmm. feels like a big ethical thing to me. And there is an appropriate time for us to have that conversation, which is like after she's not in our home anymore. Yeah. Because they don't need the guilt of like, maybe we could have been the perfect family for her if we weren't such shitty kids. Yeah. That's not the thing. Yeah. So because I'm a talker and I like to share spontaneously a lot right away, often uh, that's a place where I bump into to ethical action for myself mm-hmm. is like what really honoring boundaries. Yeah. Which makes me tired. <laughs> Even thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. The thing that keeps coming up for me about ethical action or not this week happened in my ethics class mm. that I'm teaching, that I just finished teaching. A discussion of under which circumstances it's appropriate to use which version of the n-word came up Mm. that was loaded and i had a impulse not to allow the conversation to happen Mm. especially because no one in the room was a black person Mm -hmm. the situation is that there's me and i'm a white lady professor and my students, who were not all white, but none of them were black either. The question in its specific form was, is it okay to use the N-word as long as it ends with an A rather than an E-R? (laughs) (laughs) And so I let them have the conversation because I think it's an important conversation, but I also wanted to be sure that we were all very aware of two things. One was that none of us had experienced that word as a pejorative against us personally. And of course, I don't know what their families are like. So maybe some of them have had a family member. So that was one thing that I wanted to remind them that we aren't really the ones who get to decide under which circumstances it's okay. And that there wasn't anyone in the room who could tell us about that. And also I wanted to remind them that even if there was someone in the room, that it wasn't their job to tell us under which circumstances it was okay. Yeah. And so while they had this conversation with my little limits, for instance, I was like, we're not going to say that word in any variation. To which one of my students was like, can we use some other word? And I was like, no, we'll just say the N word. We just won't say the actual word. I wanted to show them, like, here's a way that we can ask people who have been affected intimately by this word without going out on the campus and finding a black person. Mm -hmm. And that was to show them, you know, you can Google these things. Mm -hmm. And lots of people have written about it on the internet. The overwhelming response was, no, don't. which was very clear to me, but was not clear to all of my students. So that felt very tense to me because I wanted to make space for them to come to their own conclusions about it and to, to think about it carefully and to realize that they don't get to have it just because they want it or just because it's in music they like to listen to sometimes or just because some of their friends use it. 
without shutting them down in a way that made them feel like they were bad people. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how well I walked that line, mm-hmm. but that's what I was trying to mm-hmm. trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a, both of us um, described situations where it's like so many small decisions. Right. Not just one action, but like action after action after action. Right. Which is part of like what gives me the like sigh and tired feeling. Right. Because with so much of the stuff that we are interested and want to talk about, it's not like, and then I did the thing and I was done. Right. Another thing, a thread between our stories is that they were like small actions built on top of each other, but neither of them were the type of thing that we often understand as action. Right. And there's a quote that came up in my class the day that I taught that, that is by Julia Butterfly Hill. Which the, I don't even know who that is. Do you I know don't know who, that, who is? that is either. We don't know who this is. This is from a textbook of Chris's. Yes. So from we're going to go find out who Julia Butterfly Hill is. I don't know who she is. Oh, Erin oh. knows. Julia Butterfly Hill was an earth firster who crawled up into a redwood tree in Humboldt County in the 90s and then stayed there for over a year or something. Oh. Something like that. Yeah. What an amazing experience. Yeah. Cool. Cool. That's important context. Thanks, yeah, Aaron. thanks Aaron. Sure. Uh, so anyway, the quote is, the question is not, can you make a difference? You already do make a difference. It's just a matter of what kind of difference you want to make. So we're going to try to break down a little bit what we mean by action and what we mean by ethical action. Maybe we'll start by talking about culturally Mm -hmm. what actions Mm -hmm. usually defined as. Especially ethical action, Mm -hmm. right? Because Mm -hmm. the Julia Butterfly Hill quote is really pointing at something that Chris and I are wanting to point out a lot, which is like, we're all the time living in an ethical sphere. Yeah. Like it never goes away. Right. But a lot of the kind of media messaging that we get or like inbox Googling can often give me the feeling that ethical action is in some way separate from my regular life. Right. That it's like in addition to my regular daily choices or that I would have to do totally different things and be a completely different person in order to make ethical choices. Yeah, and when I first start teaching ethics, the class, one thing that I frequently say throughout the course of the class, but especially at the beginning, is that I think a reason that many people miss out on ethical action or make bad ethical choices is because they don't realize that they're in ethical context. Right. And the truth of it is, I think, that we're almost always in an ethical context. Right. Almost all contexts are ethical contexts, whether we're moving towards something and actively participating in something or whether we're hanging back and observing. And we don't always get to choose when we're in ethical context. Sometimes we just find ourselves in them. And then we we don't just get to say, well, I didn't choose this. Therefore, I can't make an ethical action now. Or I get to just wash my hands of it because you just happen to be there. Right. Because that's what it's like. Regardless of of what you choose to do, you are having an impact. You're touching the other people who are part of the situation or the earth or Mm -hmm. animals or... Mm -hmm whoever you're in relationship with directly or indirectly. I say a similar thing in my yoga classes all the time, Mm -hmm. and especially in my beginning yoga class and my foundational yoga classes, which is like the cultural impression that you often will get of yoga 
is that it happens in a fantasy body. The yoga that you might do will carry you away from the body that you're in now and into a different body, a body that will like look or perform differently. Mm -hmm. And what I really want to emphasize is that you are all the time inside your body. Yeah. The thing that yoga can do is take you closer to the experience that you're already having. Right. And legitimize that experience and help you feel it as the most real thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's like our shared project, right, is to bring those things, the philosophical, ethical perspective mm-hmm. and the what it feels like to be in my right. body perspective. Right really into the conversation together and let them steer each other. And to notice, like what Devin was saying, to tie our ideas together, sort of, we're always in our bodies. It's just a matter of whether we're choosing to come in contact with them Mm -hmm. in an intimate way or not. Mm -hmm. So, And like Chris and I both think that increased intimacy with ourselves naturally makes the likelihood of ethical action greater. Yes, if we pay attention to it. Right. I agree. So when we talk about action culturally, often what we talk about, like if we see something on the news or we hear about the water protectors or Mm -hmm. we hear Mm -hmm. about the women's march or Mm -hmm. these are all a little bit old but not sold, that they're out of the question. Yeah, or like Um, the the kids in Parkdale. Or the kids in Parkdale, yeah. A lot of what it seems to mean by action, like if you Google, what can I do to help, you'll get some pretty standard responses. Mm -hmm. So like the walkout in Parkdale and in schools around the country is a clear example of one way you might take an action. Donating money is often listed. Recommended. Recommended. Having a march or a protest, Mm -hmm. making posters or some other sort of visual thing. Right. There's all the stuff that's like veganism. Sometimes people are vegan for other reasons, mm-hmm. but there's a ethical aspect of like you could make a lifestyle change, right. like ride your bike instead of driving your car. Mm-hmm. Adopt a dog instead of get one from a kennel. Right. Buy only certain types of products or products that aren't made by certain companies. Right. And sometimes that stuff splashes out into like, if you grow a garden, you're a good person. Right. Right. There's like Um, what I think of as Portland politics, but is also just liberal politics, where there's like a stereotyping of ethical action. Like Uh, a checklist. Yes. Do these things. Which can get really pokey, right? Because a lot of that stuff is related to privilege. Right. And also to what is preferred in liberal white circles Mm -hmm. uh, for lifestyle choices Mm -hmm. without a look at history Mm -hmm. or how we got where we are with those preferences. Yeah. So we're interested in those types of actions, but we also have some questions about those types of actions. They don't seem to, first of all, cover all of the things, Mm -hmm. and they don't seem to apply to all of the people. Mm -hmm. And we both feel strongly that all of the people can do this. Mm -hmm. And not all of the people can do things like donate money Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Not all of the people can do things like go on marches. Mm because of various financial or physical restraints. And what we're interested in is making action, ethical action, available to everyone all the time. Yeah, yeah. And also, we're wanting to uplift something about that, like, stereotyping of ethical action, which is that it can also be a version of escape to um, be good 
right right as opposed to be engaged when we are able to just as humans who want to experience belonging and who want to experience self-love uh when we buy into the stereotyping of what it is to be good it can actually do the opposite of what we're naming yoga right, right? which is instead of bringing us closer to ourselves it can give us more and more the sense that my real self, my valuable self, my ethical self is at a distance from me. It mm -hmm. is the stereotype. Mm -hmm. And I can take actions to get closer to the stereotype, but I'll never really meet it, right. right? Because it's not me. Right. That's how I can tell, right? So we brought a Pema Chodron quote with us that we feel like is just appropriate to our whole project. Yes. And Pema Chodron is probably one of our inspirations, if you don't know who she Big is. Big time. She's a Tibetan Buddhist monk. And also a white lady. And also a white lady um, who practices Tibetan Buddhism. She has written all these great books. My favorite one this comes from, it's called The Wisdom of No Escape, and it's actually a, a published book of talks that she gave before she was super Buddhism famous. The basic creative energy of life, life force, bubbles up and courses through all existence. It can be experienced as open, free, unburdened, full of possibility, energizing. Or this very same energy can be experienced as petty, narrow, stuck, caught. Even though there are so many teachings, so many meditations, so many instructions, the basic point of it all is just to learn to be extremely honest and also wholehearted about what exists in your mind. Thoughts, emotions, bodily sensations, the whole thing that adds up to what we call me or I. Nobody else can tell you what to accept or reject in terms of what wakes you up or makes you fall asleep. No one else can really sort out for you what to accept, what opens up your world, and what you reject, what seems to keep you going round and round in some kind of repetitive misery. This meditation is called non-theistic, which doesn't have anything to do with believing in God or not believing in God, but means that nobody but yourself can tell you what to accept and what to reject. So she's talking about, you know, the meditation that she teaches when she's talking about non-theistic meditation. And that really speaks to me because that's so much of what the inquiry is that I teach and that I think Chris teaches also mm -hmm. is really trying to take the tools that we have to offer and say these tools still won't tell you what to do mm -hmm. or what not to do mm -hmm. the tools are to help you get more information about what it feels like to engage wholeheartedly right yeah. and honestly with your daily experience yeah and that means on the inside and on the outside in a flow mm -hmm. all the time mm-hmm and it can mean that, well, one of the things that has been notable to me as I've tried to look into what sorts of actions might be taken in my interest in promoting alertness about social justice issues mm. is um, you can sign up for these listservs or find great websites mm -hmm. that say things like, 20 things you can do right now mm -hmm. or that will give you some sort of thing like if this situation happens mm -hmm. then you can do this thing mm -hmm. those are very limiting because they're coming from an external 
position rather from an internal Mm -hmm. position. They aren't about you taking an action that's coming from your own trust of yourself and your feeling and your experience of the situation, but rather from something else out there that's Mm -hmm. not in the situation that's actually happening. Mm -hmm. So it's limited as a tool of authentic response because it's a plan rather than a spontaneous action that arises in you as a result of preparing for the moment Mm -hmm. that is actually right there. Mm -hmm. Those things are really appealing, Mm -hmm. right? Because it can be so hard to break down the grand ethical actions that we're talking about into small pieces. Right. And because it can feel so overwhelming to live in a society that is so, like, what is the word for anti-ethical? Oppressive? uh, Lacking in uh, spiritual motivation? Mm -hmm. Disconnected from the earth? Like an expression of a history of violence? Yeah. Right? Like, all that stuff, that's, like, shared stuff. That's part of our foundation in this project, in the Yoga for Body Politic Mm -hmm. project, where, like, our world is not in a good way and we're looking at a whole history that we see playing out in the present right right? and in that sense it can feel very overwhelming there's like 400 plus years of racial inequity in our country and what is one person going to do about that genocide was part of the plan of this country and is still part of the plan of this country. Mm-hmm. And I do think that for some of our listeners, that will be like, what? You know, like that, I'm not on board with that. Trump is like, it's bad and everything. But that perspective, I think for both of us, is part of this kind of honesty and wholeheartedness yes. that we're able to do because of embodied practices of self-love and mm-hmm. self-care. And that, like, everybody's in their own time scale with mm-hmm. that. But I do think that it's hard to look at the history of this country, the history of colonialism generally yeah. in the world, without some amount of cushioning mm-hmm. that comes from self-trust practices. Mm-hmm. And it can make it feel like you have to do something big. Mm-hmm. Like, the only thing right? you can do is a big, big thing. Mm-hmm. like Because it's so big. Because it's, it's so, so nasty big. and it's so big. If you're just a little person um, and we're all just little people, the biggest thing you can do seems required mm-hmm. because the overwhelming history of racial and gender and sexual and environmental damage. We didn't bring up capitalism yet. Yeah. Also, we're <laughs> always doing that. <laughs> all of those pieces... <laughs> on their own are massive and then they're all tied together through all sorts of what's the word weft and warp of threads right if you're feeling totally lost here get some bell hooks (laughs) yes she can help you out she can anyway so it, it can make it feel like you have to take a big action yeah because you're a little person and doing the action that is a little accessible to you Mm -hmm. might not feel like enough And it could also feel like that's the way to be noticed in your action taking. Being Mm -hmm. noticed in your action taking might feel important and relevant 
otherwise maybe it's not having an impact. Totally. And this, the, the scale thing is something that we talk a lot about when we talk about action. What feels, you know, there's that urge when we perceive the bigness of the threat in whatever situation, even if you don't go all the way down the road to like all the language that we were just using and you're just like, notice how small you feel in a situation where you would need to speak up to defend somebody else. The bigness of power makes us feel really small. Yes. And then at the same time, if you were to speak up and try to defend somebody else, all of a sudden you feel huge. Yes. Like your voice is too loud. You're physically like exhausted right away from trying to take this action that maybe you weren't totally prepared for or just feels daunting and all eyes are on you. And you don't know what will happen next. Yeah. And maybe it will shift whatever's happening over to you. So Mm -hmm. you'll be actively threatened in a way that you weren't before. And that like toggling Mm -hmm. between feeling too small and feeling too big is something that I think about all the time around action. Because one of the things we're really interested in, and I'm really interested in, especially from from a yoga perspective, is how do I feel that I am the size that I actually am? Yeah. How do I feel my body my actual body in the present in the moment as the indicator of the size of me. Right. So that I can feel empowered to take actions that are on my scale so that they do feel big enough. And that's why our recommendation, which I'm hesitant to say because it might sound too much like if X, then do Y. (laughs) But that's why the thing that we're really trying to talk about is that in order to take action, whatever the action looks like to you, and we'll talk more about what actions might Mm -hmm. look like rather than the big cultural things we see as action. But the way to know what the action that is the size of you is, is to really get to know the size of you. Ways that we have found, and these are far from the only ways, but Mm -hmm. ways that we have found that help us find the size of us are through doing meditative practices, are through doing yoga, Mm -hmm. are from touching the ground. We both garden. Mm -hmm. We both go into the natural world. world. That's a great way to get to be the right size Mm -hmm. for me. Like Mm -hmm. looking at a field of stars or being underneath big trees gives me so much information Mm -hmm. about how big I actually am. Mm -hmm. When I'm weeding and I see a little worm like Mm. poke its butt out and then like the rest of it sort of folds out after it and then it's like squirming away. I'm like, oh, I ruined your house. I'm huge. I'm huge. Yeah. But also you're in a true way. (laughs) Right. In a true way. Yeah, that is really a, a huge cushion for me. And I think even like my dog story is about feeling right-sized. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm all up in my kids' brains and minds telling them what they feel, then I'm too big. Yeah. Then I'm not the actual size of my body. And withdrawing from the temptation to be um, pervasive in mm-hmm. their awareness and to blot out their own thoughts and feelings with what I see or what I feel, the the way that I can meet that temptation without like scolding myself or shaming myself for that desire, because that desire comes out of love, but it also comes out of habit. Mm-hmm. The sort of response that I can have to that inside myself 
is to feel the limits, like the edges of my body. Taking or not taking an action begins like at my, at my skin. It begins where my voice comes out of my face. Mm -hmm. That is a thing that, that I think we can pay a lot of attention to when we talk about action because a lot of us are like, well, I had a bad thought, you know? And like, as long as you didn't get that bad thought on anybody, you didn't take an action. Yeah. Making that distinction is important yeah. because I have racist thoughts yeah. all the time. I am programmed. There's tons of habituation in my mm. body. And noticing that kind of thought and adjusting for that is a really important part of taking ethical actions in the world. And that's where meditation is important to me because that's the thing that keeps turning me to look at myself. Mm. Like it would be really easy for me to think, I don't have racist or gendered or mm -hmm. ableist inclinations because I'm a good person. But I have those. All of us have those because that's part of the social environment. And it's not our fault that we learn those, but it is like a thing that we have to be able to look at. Well, because, as adults, right? This right. is how big I am. Right. I'm the size of a big adult. Because if we don't look at them, they'll still keep coming through us. Mm -hmm. They will make us create action that will harm other people mm -hmm. of course i still do that even though i'm turning to look at myself mm -hmm. but the thing is in meditation when i turn to look at myself i can see those and seeing them means i can feel the way it feels to have in my body a racist inclination mm -hmm. and when i can become very familiar with that feeling then i can see it in myself before it comes out of myself. Mm -hmm. Your example, right, of like having to keep doing the ethical practice, of having to, to kind of stay the line through the mm -hmm. whole class, of being like, I'm not going to be so big that I take away the possibility of this conversation for you. Yeah. Right? And just deny the students altogether, right? Which is like shaming and shutting right. down and is not right. what we need to do about and racial conversations in this turn country. To look at themselves. Exactly. Because you're like, what I see in you is not safe. You don't want to do that. And at the same time, you want to make the conversation have some parameters, but you're having to keep doing it over and over again. Yeah. And I think that embodiment practices like yoga or tai chi or whatever, um, even like physical therapy yeah. can work like this. Yeah. Where... And meditation, where over and over and over again, you bump into habits mm -hmm. and you feel how the habit wants to steer the movement mm -hmm. in a particular way, mm -hmm. just because that's how you grew and you're not wrong. But that strategy you've determined is not serving you and is not serving other people and isn't giving you a shot at those words that, that Pema was using, open, free, unburdened, full of possibility energized right right people come to me because they want to feel those feelings in their bodies they don't want to feel petty narrow stuff caught and at yeah. the same time it's by encountering and being present for the habit that keeps us stuck that we get the turn that yes. we get to feel a little more free and it often feels scary to do that mm. because you mm -hmm. don't know what it looks like and there's quote bad things mm -hmm. about having racist or whatever thoughts mm -hmm. and so the turning to look at it is the scariest part mm -hmm. and then you can look at it and be like oh it's you mm -hmm. hello self and that is our our next episode is all about self-care yes 
how do we keep a kind voice, mm-hmm. right? Like, how do I include myself in the people that I want to serve, in the earth that I want to take care of, in the animals that I want to protect from suffering? How do I include myself so that ethical action doesn't wear me down, but yeah. lifts me up? Yeah. One other thing that you were talking about was about habitual. And I also want to talk about the thing that we keep saying is spontaneous action. Right. Which right. What does that mean? And another word we use is creative. Creative. Yes. Right. When we say spontaneous action, what we mean is it's not a preloaded response, mm-hmm. but a response to what's actually happening mm-hmm. in the moment that you're actually in. Mm-hmm. And another thing can happen in those situations, which is a habitual response. Mm-hmm. I think it would be nice for us to make a distinction. You snuck in a little bit ago the word practice, Mm -hmm. which is a really important word for both of us um, and an important concept and experience that we bump into in all different kinds of ways. And again, that will come up more Mm -hmm. in the the self-care conversation. But we don't want to say there's no way to prepare, right? right? Like when exactly. Chris is saying, let's not maybe decide how we're going to respond based on like an article in a magazine, although those can be useful, right? Yes. That can be informing yes. when somebody's like, maybe don't ever say this thing mm-hmm. when you're having a racial conversation. That can be really useful if it goes through into my body and I let myself ask the question, when might I say that thing? Right. What would cause me to say that thing? Why would it not be such a good idea to say that thing? How would I feel? And then also, I might have the opportunity to notice when I do almost say that thing another time and engage with that as part of a practice. So that kind of like self-inquiry practice is part of what we're talking about when we're talking about being in nature, being in our bodies, Mm -hmm. meditation. It's also these conversations that Chris and I have that she and I both have with other people in our lives that are really honest conversations where you can say, I almost did this thing that I feel really bad about, or I did do this thing that made me feel really uncomfortable and felt unethical to me. Mm -hmm. And that uplift is part of the practice of honesty, right? And part of what we mean by action. Yes. Uh, And also that's why the articles can be a part of action or mm-hmm. reading mm-hmm. stuff on the internet yeah, can, can totally be part be. of action yeah. because it's a place that you can find a stimulus to to turn and look at right. what's going on. Right. And that's the thing, right? Reading the article could be the thing that really opens you up or it could be something that puts you to sleep because it tells you how to behave and you don't have to engage mm-hmm. as long as you follow those mm-hmm. rules. Or it puts you to sleep because you're like, I'm bad. I never do those things mm-hmm. that are on the list. Yeah, I should just give up altogether. And that's this ongoing thing when we're naming action we're naming action to each other for each other for you we're wanting to say almost anything that you do can give you a little taste of freedom of making a choice in the moment that feels free Mm -hmm. as opposed to habitual Mm -hmm. that feels creative and almost anything can have the opposite effect letting you let yourself off the hook mm-hmm. or keeping you from turning because it's too scary mm-hmm. or too gross or because of shaming or because that of shaming. you've experienced in the past or trauma that you've experienced in the past that gives you that feeling of freezing or of running away from mm-hmm. the conversation or 
the moment when you might take an action. Right. So the habitual action is sort of the thing that we've been trained to do, both by ourselves and by our families Mm -hmm. and by our Mm -hmm. communities. So crying for me can Mm -hmm. be a habitual action Mm -hmm. when I am feeling upset. I read an article a while back about white tears, especially white women crying during Mm -hmm. racial conversations. And that was a time that reading an article was an action for me. Mm -hmm. I realized crying is a habitual action of mine. It's really easy for me to go to a place where I start to cry. Mm -hmm. And Devin can totally attest to that. (laughs) But uh, I'm like the other end of the spectrum. I'm so proud of myself when I get to tears. And I'm like, yes, here they are again. all over everything (laughs) so and i mean i'm not so proud of myself when i get to tears (laughs) like when uh i'm part of a a setting where they're not appropriate yeah that just doesn't happen to me so this article was a piece of action for Mm. me because i realized that my tears could have an effect that i didn't want them to have that Mm. is recentering the conversation on me Mm. rather than on the person who just said to me something like, wow, I wish you hadn't touched my hair or Mm. whatever it was. Um, Even just sharing a microaggression that happened to that person someplace else. Right. Right. Or a macroaggression. Right. So that's a thing that I am looking at in myself as I practice my embodied practices of Zazen meditation and yoga is what is this crying doing for me? Mm -hmm. Um, Because it is a habitual action Mm. and it's not always helpful. Mm. And in some cases it's harmful to other people when they're trying to share an aspect of their experience. And I start crying and I, I usually know that my crying is, I don't know, sort of like peeing, like a thing that has to happen sometimes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But not everyone knows that because for some people crying is a really big deal. So even if it's not a big deal to me, it can send mm-hmm. this is a big deal message. Mm-hmm. Right. Like to everything other has to come to a halt now. Right. And we can't continue the and conversation. And we have to find you a clean and, and we you. have to pat your back. Right. And we have to check in with you. Right. Even when I'm like, it's okay, I'll just get snot on my shirt. Mm-hmm. So the practice of looking at this habitual action of mm. crying and under which circumstances I'm crying and why I'm crying can help me notice that that's the habitual action and just have a a little gap i'm wanting to slow this down even more because this is really good when you started to read the article Mm -hmm. at what point could you tell that you were that the article wasn't just an article that you were reading that it was like you were taking a real action by Mm. reading the article well i read this article before you and I had these conversations, Mm -hmm. so I didn't have the same language. But when I started reading the article, I feel that I remember the feeling of how could crying be a thing that would harm other people? And in reading the article, hearing these other voices or reading these other voices who are saying, when I bring up my experience as a person of color in the United States and some white lady starts crying for whatever reason she's starting to cry... I notice that the conversation that I'm trying to have gets pushed over to comforting the woman. And often it means for me that 
first of all, my situation didn't get resolved. Mm -hmm. And second of all, now I'm a bad guy Mm -hmm. in the situation because I made the nice white lady cry. That was the piece that really clicked for me. Mm -hmm. That is like, Mm -hmm. that's a thing I could do. I could start crying because I cry at the drop of a hat. Mm -hmm. And that's not a thing I want to do because it's clear to me how that could cause harm to other people. The first thing you said in response to that question was you wondered yes. how could crying hurt someone's feelings. Mm-hmm. And I'm like zooming in even further on that moment, which like I don't want to name defensiveness for you, but a moment of like real j- jarring. Yeah. Like what? That sounds right. That is like a juicy spot. Right. Because then the article was for you. Right. You were all of a sudden like, this Mm -hmm. doesn't already agree with my Mm worldview. And I already knew, of course, that sometimes crying makes people uncomfortable. Uh Getting other people's emotions on you is sometimes uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But I hadn't considered that it might be uncomfortable in a way that was harmful uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and not just uncomfortable uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Right. And that moment of like... I don't know about this Mm -hmm. for me is really often an indicator that there is potential for creative or for freer action. Yeah. I can read a lot of articles that help substantiate perspectives that I already have. And that reading can be very habitual or that news getting or that like attending events. And when you have this question, wait, what? That's the thing that can create the gap. Mm hmm. That makes you reflect, is this about to be habitual? Like it can open various doors instead of following down the path that you're just automatically going to go down because you've been practicing going down that path your whole life. Mm -hmm. You get to like a, what's it called? Those houses that are on the end of a circle. Cul-de-sac. A cul-de-sac. But instead of being gross and suburban, it's like, (laughs) <laughs> Here's the richness of meadows right. that you can like wander into. That's the thing that spontaneous action permits mm-hmm. is not just mm-hmm. here's the pat thing to do. The thing to do is to explore. This is something that comes up so much, right? Like even our junko politicians, I'm not going to name any names, want to say, you know, we got to cross the aisle. We all got to work together. We got to come out of our you know, what Chris and I are naming habitual perspectives, right? And hear some new things from each other. There are some places where I can do that. And there are other places where I can feel in my body, like it is not possible for me to take creative action right now. I am so mad about gun violence. I just don't even know if I can have this conversation. And that feeling that like habituated response that is about identity it's about my identity as a person who believes certain things make the world more dangerous mm-hmm. and certain things make the world less dangerous. And I feel those things so strongly that that's not even a place where I am honestly going to try to take an action mm-hmm. in the way that we're talking about, in the like creative Because there's so way. much tied up Because there's it. so much there. And that thing is like, well, then, am I just not even going to try to have conversations with people who might disagree with me about that perspective? Am I not going to to give money to causes that I believe in because of that? I might still do those things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm still going to participate in the walkout. I just did. 
participate mm-hmm. in the walkout with the kids that I work with at Rosemary Anderson. And I reached out to my niece who lives in Florida, who is going to a lot of protests right now. She's in high school. I am like listening to some news, which like I don't listen to a lot of news because I feel programmed by it. Mm-hmm. But I'm listening to some news about that. And am I going to call any of those things action in the sense of what we're talking about? Eh, not that much, really. Yeah. Those things feel important to me. They feel like things I need to do. Um, and they don't feel like wandering around in the meadow. Yeah. I feel like that's just like I need to do the next thing and put the foot, yeah. the next foot in front of the other because I live in this world. Um, but I'm not discovering myself right. in any way. I'm not noticing how I'm changed right. until I am. Until right. in one of those conversations, I get a little peek through the fabric of right. my identity. And that's the moment, right? Like mm-hmm. your moment of reading the article that's like, okay, whoa, let's slow down. Yeah. And so in that sense, maybe those are like, prerequisites to action Mm -hmm. to like go through the sort of formulaic habitual things until you can find a piece Mm -hmm. that allows just a little tiny chink to open up Mm -hmm. through which something else can start to flow Mm -hmm. right because i am still engaged right right i am engaging with this issue in the way that i can figure out how to do that right Right. now and you couldn't if you like, if you were to withdraw and be like, I'm too caught up in this, right. so therefore I'm not going to have anything to do with it, that would be an action in the sense of withdrawing, mm-hmm. like disconnecting, right? which would also not provide space to find the creative energy of what's going to happen next. And at the same time, I'm going to question that mm-hmm. because when I get really buried with an issue, sometimes I do need to be like, For okay, sure. I'm not going to listen to any news about sure. this issue. I'm just going to walk away from it, or, or at least I'm going to walk away from interactions around this issue and like give myself some rest because I'm getting so habitual and yeah. so reactive, right? Like I just, anytime anybody wants to bring this up with me, I'm like, like um, right. the whole Trump election cycle, watching the people in my life obsessively watch video of him and watch the stats on him and like feel vindicated when things were going poorly for him and when bad things came out about Mm -hmm. him i was really like that's so stuck that does not look free i can tell it's the same for me because i'm having this feeling of in my body right now of like clenching and disgust yes right and it's like all of it's disgust like disgust around mr 45 and disgust around the behavior of othering right that like liberal othering of Mm -hmm. him and people who would Mm -hmm. vote for him feels so intensely habitual to me and the only thing i could do was just not have those conversations like i had to just give it less airtime i didn't want any of that stuff playing through my head and at the same time i could do noticing because of course i couldn't withdraw from it all the way sure so there was plenty of time for me to lay in bed next to my husband while he like checked the news at the end of the day so that he could think more bad thoughts about trump and I could lie there and feel what I felt. Right. And that was a practice. Yeah. To not tell him not to do what he was doing, but just to feel all of the feelings that I was having around, yeah, all the different directions of it. That was, like, as much creativity as I could do. And I think that's something that we really want to uplift in here is that often the practice is not about knowing what to do. Actually, the practice literally is not knowing what to do. That's how you get into the meadow so often is just 
by stumbling around and not grasping on to the next action that you're going to take. Yeah. I think that's a good segue into self-care. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I feel cool about that. So yeah, let's let's go with not knowing. If you if you started out with our questions, feeling like you didn't know what we were talking about or you couldn't name the action or inaction. Ta-da, we went in a circle for you. Yeah, soak it up. <laughs>